You may have heard of the popular book Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. But how do you steal like a creator? How do you take the most successful creators online and use what they're doing to help you grow? Alex is the chief thief with his newsletter, The Steel Club, where he dissects the strategies that top creators use to grow their audiences and monetize them. And in today's episode of Creators on Air, he shares those very strategies. So my background is in advertising. I used to work in advertising agencies for four or five years before that happened. And then I got fired, so I had like a plenty, like plenty of time in my hands. So basically, what I did was um, I started to share everything that I learned on social media. The problem is that I wasn't getting any engagement or any followers whatsoever, and I was getting super frustrated because I I was seeing people that started at the same time as me grow way faster and have like way more success than me. So the problem is that I was seeing them as competition instead of mm. seeing them as inspiration. And when that happened, that made me click. It was like a click in my head. And when that happened, I started to grow because what I was doing is just see what they did and try to borrow their strategies and their tactics and just apply them to my own content and my own services and everything. And it just started to work. Everything started to click and fall into place. So at, the, at that time, I was reading the Still Like an Artist book and it just made sense to put like the two things together, you know, so the... Borrowing ideas from others and tactics and strategies and pair it with the stealing theme, which is more like a branding thing. Uh, but basically, it's just like the excuse that I use to to borrow ideas from others without feeling too guilty. And that's how the Silk Lab was born. And that was like almost two years ago now and up until now. So it's, it's going great. Yeah, I think it's such a clever concept. Um, what are some of the best strategies that you've taken from top creators and that you've personally applied to your own platform and growth? Yeah. So there is one that obviously when you, when you look at all of these creators, you start to notice patterns and you start to notice things that they all do at the same time. And one of these is the use of prune structures or or templates, if if you want to call it, uh, for content creation. And that's something that I've applied to my own content and that has literally changed the way I create content. And someone that does this super well is Justin Wells. For example, what he does is that instead of starting the content creation process looking at a blank page, uh, what he does is he starts from a preset structure that he either creates from scratch or has taken from someone else. And he just like, let's say he just fills the blanks between that uh, on that template. And that helps him come up with new ideas, but also like speed up the content process way more. And that's something that I've taken from him too. And I, you know, I, I made my own tweaks on it, but that I, and right now it's the way I create content. And that's how I am able to create so much content. This is one of the main questions that I get uh, on Twitter and everywhere is basically, how can you create so much content so consistently? And it's like, <laughs> I'm not starting from a blank page. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually starting from something that ex- exists. It's 10 times faster than before. So, yeah. I guess my main like concern about using, like growth hacks or templates and stuff like that is trying to avoid sounding like everyone else, especially on Twitter. How do you avoid that? Like, how do you make sure that your personality is still coming through and that you're still standing out on Twitter, even though you might be using templates that Mm. other creators are also using? Yeah. And I, I totally understand the concern and it's actually a valid concern. The problem of using templates is that most creators use them without thinking too much about it. And that's what 
you know, that's what creates fatigue. And that's why everyone is so fed up with these templates because every creator is just like copy paste the template and that's it. And that's not really the way it should be used, at least in my opinion. Um, there is one thing that's unique to each one of us and it's our journey and our experiences. That That's something that no one else can copy or no one else can steal from you because it's unique to you. So the, the key here is to pair these templates to speed up content creation with your own unique experiences and so on. So you create something authentic that cannot be replicated, right? Mm. So um, one, one reflection that I think it was Justin Wells too that, that he said that because I remember he was confronted once about using this type of templates or structures and so on. And he said something like, hey, even the best chefs in the world, they use recipes, you know, to, to follow. Uh, but they okay. still sprinkle their own, uh, you know, uniqueness into into whatever they are cooking or, or so or so on. You know, they use a recipe, but maybe you 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 can go, you know, maybe maybe I know this ingredient before or after or like a different ingredient that is very similar. So that's the thing. It's not just like taking one template, copy pasting, and you know, publish the tweet. It's more like taking the template and use that as the base instead of the blank page. But then add your own uniqueness, your own experiences, your own personal journey into yeah. the mix to make that unique. At least that, that's how I see it. I th that's how I try to use it too. And that's how, I mean, at least to me, no one has said to me, hey, you are using templates. You know? like, <laughs> at least it hasn't happened yet. So. Yeah, no, I, I really like that um, analogy actually about the recipes. I think mm -hmm. that's a really clever way of thinking about it. What do you think um, most creators get wrong about growing their platform? Like, What do you think are some like common myths or mistakes that get made? Uh, one that I realized right now, really recently, uh, with, with looking at a ton of creators around me, is that some creators, they want to grow their audience just for the sake of growth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually really, really bad and it's hurting their business, you know. Right now, my own, I switched my focus from trying to grow my audience as much as I can to try to grow my audience with intent and actually try to get more quality followers than quantity, you know, because... I've seen a bunch of creators go super viral with threads that have probably not too much to do with their own, with their core content, or at least with the business that they are trying to build. And that's actually really hurting their, their, you know, their, their strategy and, and their, and their business. Because if you build a list full of people who are not really interested in what you have to say, then what, what's the point? You know, like when, when the next time you start to, you want to maybe, a seller product or whatever, they are not going to buy because they are not interested in what you have to say. Maybe they yeah. came to you because of your threat about the nine, you know, trendy AI tools, but maybe you write about SaaS marketing and while it might be somewhat related, they are not really, you know, th those are not like quality audience members. So mm. that's one of the biggest mistakes I think people do. Um, I've seen people with literally 100, 300 followers make a ton of money because it's super targeted and because they don't really need a big audience to do it. They just need the right audience. So how can creators create to make sure that they're attracting a quality audience versus just quantity? That's like a million dollar question, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard, but what I try to do is, at least personally, is just try to create the content that I would like to also consume. So I know that actually high quality. At the same time, one, one thing that I used to do is um, I used to take my, well, I still do it. I, I used to think of my audience or at least for the content that I write as my six months ago me, something like that. So I have, I always have like one person in mind that's 
you know, I, I am the first person that would buy my products if I were me, you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to use myself as a model of what my content should be. And I write for my six months old self and it's kind of working right now. So that's like the framework I'm going to use, but it's a really good question that I, I don't have like a, you know, like a very specific answer, but this is how I'm trying to, to solve it personally. And you chose Twitter as your kind of main platform plus the newsletter. What made you go for those platforms when you started? Yeah. So basically I joined Twitter because I had been a consumer for many, many, many years of Twitter, but I've never been a creator. I was aware of the, of the type of um, audience that you can build and uh, how easy it is to network with, with others on the platform. And that's something that I haven't experienced yet on other platforms that I've tried to build an audience in. So that for me is the biggest advantage that Twitter has against like everything else. Is that it's just the mindset of the people there is way easier to connect with others just because of that, you know, because the people, I, I, I don't know what, what is it, but if you get a DM on LinkedIn, you are, at least most people think, oh, there's some, someone trying to sell me something. Yeah. You know? And while there are people selling things on Twitter too, obviously, uh, at least the, when I go to my DMs, I don't really think like that. So that's one of the biggest advantages that I see Twitter has against other social platforms. So how often do you use DMs as part of your kind of creative process, I guess? And like, do you have any advice for how to network as a creator on Twitter? Yeah, I, I mean, I use I use them every day. Um, oh, wow, okay. For two things, like first to, re to reply to people who reach out to me. Obviously, I don't reply to everyone because that, that's, you know, that's, not, that's unsustainable. But I try to reply to everyone that has like a valid request or question, you know, not, not people who just say hi. Uh, you know, that's a big no-no, I guess. If you want to reach out to someone, the way I do it is that being genuinely interested on in what they do, I think that's the best that, That's the best way to reach out to others because you can really tell when someone is reaching out just because they are interested and because they want to say something nice and why they are, when they are reaching out uh, because they want to get something out of you. You know, I think that's yeah. really easy to catch on, especially if you have been on the online world for quite some time. I think it's, it's super easy to get to know, okay, just make your ask. You know, I see that you are like uh, trying to sell me something. Um, but so my approach is that, you know, whenever I reach out to someone, it's because I think it's someone who is interesting. So I just lead with that, you know, hey, I've seen this project that you've built that looks super cool. Or, you know, I love what you are building with this and that. And just try to start like a normal conversation out of it without trying to be salesy or pushing or pushy in any way. Mm. And what do you hope to gain from those? In, I, I know you're saying that, you know, you don't want to necessarily just have like a sales or game, but what do you think networking offers creators? Like, why is it important for us to, to be doing that? And the first thing is just meeting like cool people. I mean, for me, the best part of Twitter is that I can surround myself from really interesting people building super cool things. So the first thing is inspiration, you know? The second yeah. one is meeting people with, you know, the same mindset and some of those can, can even become friends, which is in, in my case, I, I've made a few friends from Twitter. Some of them I even met in, in real life and it's people who I would never have met if I wasn't on Twitter and I didn't DM them or they didn't DM me. So that, that's one of the main reasons that people should do it. And then mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just like, I mean, networking is all about building that network, you know, and getting just put yourself in front of these people because you never know when someone can recommend you or stuff like that. So in my case, sure. it happens that some people have recommended my services in, in this case, because they know that I do this, even if they 
haven't worked with me directly, they know that I do this because we have chatted a few times and, you know, they like me as a person. So when someone comes to request, hey, you know, someone that does X, Y, Z, hey, I think Alex does this, they just go talk to them. And since, yeah. the recommend, since the recommendation comes from someone that they know, then the conversion is way easier for it to happen than if it's just like me cold DMing someone and selling my, my services. That's one of the main reasons I think why people should, you know, just try to build that network and DM more, more people. Obviously with the genuine interest in mind, not with the, with the goal of building a bigger network because <laughs> I want to get more clients. You know? Yeah. And within your network of creators or like the people who inspire you, have you noticed any similarities in their mindset as a creator? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the first things is that the willingness to share from most of the creators I know, like the most successful ones, some of them sell courses and stuff like that. But if you really wanted, you you wouldn't even need to buy the courses because they share everything for free. It's just a matter of finding it. Obviously, they don't share it in a structured way. But there's just like this generosity, I think, is like they, are, they share everything that they know uh, for free without expecting anything in return and just build this um, biggest amount of trust that they've ever seen and that's super cool because then when they need to make an ask for whatever then their audience responds because they have been giving they have been building so much trust and so much uh goodwill you know with their audience that it's super easy to then convert them into whatever you you want to do so i think that's one of the biggest things i've, I've noticed from my network let's say generosity is is really big and i think it's one of the best ways to to build a business actually mm. No, I think that's a really good point. And what does your what does your current business look like and how do you structure content creation around it? Like what is your system? Yeah, so I try to focus my content creation hours because I've tried to do it, for example, daily. Like I used to try to write everything that I put out in the day the same day. And mm. the problem with that is that it works up until there is like some emergency or, you know, like, someday that you cannot write because you need to go to the doctor, you need to go to the supermarket or whatever, and then everything just falls apart, you know? So right now what I do is that I set a few hours a week to just work on content, which usually for me, it's Monday mornings. So I, I have like my whole Monday morning blocked just for content, for content creation. And then I can't forget about the content creation part of the business for the whole week because I have already done it on Monday. In, in my mind, it's also like just checking the box. And I can forget about it and I can, I can focus on other things that are not content creation, which requires like a special mindset and concentration. So th that's how I do it right now. And that's how I've been doing it for the last, I think, year or year and a half. And it's, and it's working really well. I mean, obviously there are some weeks that you feel burned out and you don't put out as much content, but generally I think I've been really consistent for the last three years. And one of my biggest secrets is the batching my content creation time. Yeah. And something I find really interesting about your approach is you also include a lot of like visuals with the, mm. the yellow. So it's like very distinctive. What made you go for that visual approach, especially on Twitter? Yeah. So one of my biggest concerns about content creation is that I actually want my content to be consumed, you know, and for that to happen, it needs to be easy to consume. And one mm. of the best ways to make that content easy to consume is to use visuals or some sort of visual element because uh, or even even when I write text, I always you know the first drafts that I make are like super long. <laughs> I always try to try to trim trim them down because I know that uh, 
people are not that willing to, for example, especially on social media, maybe if they are on newsletter or a blog post is something different. But if you are on Twitter, you don't want to be reading like big walls of text. You know, you want to read yeah. something that's snappy, fast to read, maybe bullet points, something like that, you know, something that you can read in under 10 seconds. And that's, that's my obsession. Let's say my obsession is to make my content as accessible and easy to consume as possible. And yeah. visuals really play like a big part on that. So. And how do you encourage engagement, um, like with your actual audience versus like networking, if you know what I mean? Yeah, you mean like engagement in, in my posts? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I always try to ask from their opinions, you know, because one thing that I've also tried to build from the beginning is that I'm not a person that's on social media to broadcast things. I'm. Uh, it's more like for me, it's like a two-way street. So mm -hmm. um, I need actually their input. So one of the things that I do is just ask them for, for their opinion. It's something like, you know, um, if I do like a listicle kind of thing and, okay, these are the five things that I do to create content, one, two, three, four, five. And then I ask, you know, what else, you know, or, or what am I missing or something like that? And this for some people is like an engagement kind of tactic for me. It's just like, I, I really want to know if I miss something and what my audience thinks of it. And I think that invites people to, to participate. And that's how I'm trying to do it. Uh, mm. But I think it also comes because I've built my brand around actually responding to people's tweets and the answer for like that is not like, I'm not like this, that you cannot approach person, you know, that it's yeah. like up, up here, you know, I think at least I like to think that I'm on the same level that most people. And when they see me and my content, they feel like I'm an approachable person. Yeah. And that, that's how I'm trying to building and it, it's working so far. And at what point did you feel ready to leverage your audience into a viable business? Yeah, so really early on, I did a few tests because obviously for me, there is no point in building an audience if there is not just for the sake of building an audience, as I said. Yeah. So it, there needs to be something behind it. And in my case, it's because I want to build a business. It's not like I want to monetize my audience, but um, you know, uh, then what's the point if you, if you just, just have an audience, unless you are like, you know, like a philosopher or someone like that, and you want your ideas to spread all over the world. Uh, most people that build an audience, they really because they want to build a business. So that's what I'm trying to do too. And early on, I tried, I started testing a bunch of things that I could do. So I wrote an ebook. I, I created like a few templates that people could buy and stuff like that. So I've been testing a lot. And I think um, and some people say that you shouldn't try to monetize until you have a big audience. And I part partially agree with that advice. But at the same time, I also think that you should maybe not release like a biggest course in the world, but maybe do like small tests to really see what your audience's responses to your intent of motivation, of monetization, sorry. Because otherwise, again, what's the point of having an audience if just because? Yeah. So how do you actually go about doing those tests? Like, do you mean just building smaller, mm. I guess, products and then yeah. just putting it yeah, out like, there? Like I mean, I'm a big fan of the super scrappy MVP testing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so just put like together, like a really, you know, basic landing page, put a, put a pay button and start the pre-sale without even building the product. What's the point of building it if no one is going to buy it, right? And oh, wow. Okay. That's my approach with it. And I even saw, I've even seen creators right now. Actually, one of the latest courses I bought, it was from Pat Walls from Startup Story. And he's releasing a course about uh, his email marketing strategy and how he has built like, you know, 
he has like a huge business and it's it based a lot of on emails. So basically, what he did what what he did was put a tweet out with a directly not even a landing page, like a, a striped payment link on the tweet, <laughs> and said, "I want to build this course. It's going to be you know, hundred bucks, something like that. It's going to have more or less this type of content." And if enough people buy it, I will build it. And he put the link there. And I think he oh, has wow. made like, I don't know, 10, 20K just of, out of pre-sales, you know, <laughs> no landing page, no, you know, no marketing strategy, just to tweet because he has somewhat of an audience and general interest. And, you know, I think that's the best way to build the product, just to pre-validate the idea doing that. And then you can build it because what I've seen other creators do is that they spend like months, weeks, months, building a product, building a landing page, creating like a business plan and stuff like that. And then they release and it's crickets, you know, because no one wanted the product. I'm really big fan of just first, you know, sell it, then maybe build it and then you can iterate, you know, but first you need to validate the idea somehow. And the best way is to put it, put like a landing page or whatever, or even a tweet, like the example I just mentioned, a, a mm. payment button <laughs> and let the world decide. You know? So what is the kind of threshold that you would kind of accept to be like, okay, this is my, worth my my time and my investment. And if it doesn't meet that threshold, how do you go about, you know, the few little crickets that did actually decide to sign up? Like, how do you manage your yeah. expectations once once they've already signed up? So I, it really depends on the on the type of the product that you are building. Uh, but for example, for my latest course, which I actually released uh, at the beginning of this month, um, I set three goals and I said, okay, if we made this, this amount of sales is going to be okay. You know, like if this, this one is really, really good. And if we pass this one is like really, really good, you know, and I was going to build it if you, if you were like maybe a bit more than the okay goal. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's good if you set some goals beforehand, usually, um, because it needs to be worth your time. So it's more like estimating. You know, what's your time worth? How much do you think that it can take you to build the product that you said that you are going to build? And then just see, okay, if it takes me eight hours and I value my hour at, you know, a hundred bucks an hour, so I need to make a hundred bucks as a pre-sale. You know, that's more or less the, the math that's going on, on, on my head when, when thinking about it. And if it doesn't work, uh, what I've seen other people do, and in my case, I've been lucky that every time that I did this, it has worked and I had ended up building the product. But if I don't, what I would do is just like be super honest and upfront with people and say, Hey, you know, only three people bought it or whatever. Um, I'm not going to build it because it's not worth it for me. So mm -hmm. just refund them the money and, you know, take the loss and go home. Um, <laughs> that, that's what I would do, you know, if I was me. So. I think that's a really great approach because I feel like a lot of creators are just so busy and it's really difficult to know what to pour your time into. So I like that you've actually got an approach where, you're making informed decisions versus just trying and seeing what happens. That's really good. Um, I'm going to end with a quick fire round now. So I'm going to ask you five questions that I ask all creators that come on air. So what's your favorite thing about being a creator? Um, freedom. Mm, I like it. And what's something that gives you the most inspiration for your work? Mm, keeping that freedom. <laughs> I like how those answers are related. Um, what's one tool that helps you as a creator? Uh, Notion, hundred percent. Nice. And what something that helps with your creator work-life balance? Um, just expectation management and uh, my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by expectation management? Do you mean like how much you can do in a day, or 
like what yeah. you mean? So, so being being aware that you know that you have certain so much energy in your day and so much hours to put in, and sometimes mm-hmm. when you know being really aware of what you can, I guess more than expectation management, it could be like awareness, you know. So yeah. awareness of your energy levels of your time and you know the, keeping some balance of your life because the, the bad thing about being a creator is that there is I mean, the bad and the good thing about being a creator is there is no one saying t- telling you okay this is what you need to do now so yeah. it, it's you calling the shots but at the same time that's dangerous because if there was no one for me or myself saying hey you know just work six seven, seven eight hours a day i could work 24 hours a day and you know be <laughs> like a mess because there is no one saying stop you know but at yeah, the same time true. uh you know having i'm trying to have so work-life balance and energy management and awareness of my current state has been something that i'm still learning to do but it's really helpful i think um something that every creator should at least think about definitely and what's one piece of advice that you would give to other creators don't be afraid to uh, share stuff and launch stuff and put stuff out there because that's the only way to actually know if it's working or not if it's in your head and it's 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 not worth it you know in the sense of everyone has ideas not so many people execute them you know and to execute an idea you need to put it out there and just let the world uh, decide on your idea but if it's if it exists only in your head then um you know it will stay there forever yeah thank you so much alex for coming on air and teaching us how to still like a creator um i feel like i've definitely learned a lot and i really appreciate you sharing your insights on how to grow and monetize yeah thank you i really like alex's approach to using what the top creators are doing to help him grow while still injecting his own personality and style to his content you can find alex at thestillclub.com or on twitter And if you are a creator, check out Passion Fruit so you can do sponsorships without the hassle. I'll see you in the next one.